From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Earl Foreman here. Foreman? Uh, Tri-State Life and Casualty. I'm the branch office manager down here. Oh, sorry, Mr. Foreman, but the answer is no. Well, this is an arson case, Dollar, and we're already having to make one payoff on it. I'm sorry, but it'll have to wait. I'm going to get as far away from this New England winter as I can. Well, for that, I don't blame you, but there's no reason you shouldn't come Look, I've had a rough year of it. I'm tired and I'm cold. And unless I can get down to where the warm, balmy breezes waft in... Dollar, I have got to have you on this case. There's a lot at stake. Now, my office is down here in... No, sir, I'm sorry. You see... Down here in Sarasota. I just can't do it, Mr. Foreman. I've already made a plane reservation for Sarasota, Florida. And this is one time I'm going to... Where did you say your branch office is? Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Tri-State Life and Casualty Insurance Company Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the burning car matter. Expense account item one, which I'd thought I was going to have to absorb myself. $129, transportation and incidentals to Sarasota, Florida. It was nearly 5 p.m. when I got there, so instead of checking into a hotel, I taxied, that's item two, a dollar even, I taxied to Earl Foreman's office in the Conroy building. He turned out to be a tall, lanky, easygoing fellow with clear blue eyes and a ready smile. Sit in an office and talk business this time of day? You're in Florida now, Johnny. Well, I thought from your call this was a pretty urgent matter, Mr. Foreman. It is. Arson, you said. Yeah, probably, but here's no reason we can't go out to my little shack on the key and be comfortable while we talk about it. Besides, Michael wants you for dinner. Mike? Uh, my wife, Gertrude. Oh. Uh, come on, my jalopy's right out at the curb. Come on, Johnny. Poor man was a misnomer for this man because his jalopy turned out to be a spanking new Cadillac, complete with air conditioning and all the fixings. And the shack, anything but. It was on St. Armand's Key across Sarasota Bay from the mainland, a beautiful two-story concrete and stucco job. The big yard backed on a quiet bayou, and there tied up at a private dock was a 24-foot lap strake speedboat, ideal for fishing the Gulf of Mexico. After all, as long as you're down here on expense account. Yeah, but it's charged to your company, remember? Oh. Hey, there she is at the door. Huh? The big, fat, overbearing broad I'm married to. This was another switch. For Earl's wife standing in the doorway was the cutest little trick I'd seen in a long time. Petite, pretty, and blonde, and with eyes that you noticed right away because they were almost green. Eyes that suddenly narrowed as she looked at me. And I wondered why. Johnny? Dollar, did you say? That's right. Insurance investigator down here to look into those fires. Oh. Any objections? No. No, of course not. Just set your bags here in the hall, Johnny. All right, thanks. And wouldn't you like a drink after your long trip? Yeah, and you can get me one, too. Scotch, Johnny? Martin VVO. Oh, great. With soda, please. Sit down, sit down. Thanks. I, uh, I take it Mike isn't too interested in the insurance business, huh? (laughs) Well, you know, she... 
Used to be a singer, dancer. Oh, well, this is a little different. But now, tell me all. Well, actually, I guess we ought to wait until Arnold Carr gets back. Carr? Uh, Carr Brothers, Lumber Enterprises. Arnold runs the business, and his brother Edward... <laughs> well, Ed just shares the profits. Real black sheep of the family, from what I've been able to learn. Oh. Anyway, they have yards all over the state. There's one here in Sarasota, one up the coast of ways at Fort Pierce, and still another at Arcadia. That's about 40 miles inland, just east of here. And there was one up in Orlando. Was? Completely destroyed by fire a couple of weeks ago. And a $120,000 claim has been filed. A hundred and... Wow. That's where Arnold Carr is then, in Orlando, trying to clear things up. Here's your drink. Oh, thanks. Here, Earl. Yeah. Well, to the gods and goddesses and us. But shouldn't I be up in Orlando then? Uh, Arnold's on his way back here now. He lives here. He just went up there to arrange for clearing off and selling the property. You mean he's planning to just pocket the money? If Tri-State pays off, I mean. Looks like it. But I take it you suspect arson. Yes, Earl suspects arson, Johnny, and so does Arnold Carr. At least he says he does, but they have no reason. No? How about the other fires? Or attempted fires. Oh, where? At Arcadia, for one, but they got it out in time. At least that's the way Arnold Carr reported it. The way he tells it... Let me tell it, Mike. There was another at the yard here in Sarasota. Arnold himself discovered it one night when he was just driving around. But nothing to indicate it was attempted arson. No, and the authorities up in Orlando found no indication of it there. Mike, you know as well as I do that a lumberyard fire will obliterate signs of arson better than any other kind of fire in the world. Yeah, but she has a point, though, Earl. Unless there's some evidence of arson. Of course. Yeah, why send for me? Well, mostly because... Actually, because Arnold Carr suspects him. But he's given you no real reason. None at all. I think he has a real reason, but he just won't tell us. Wait till you see him. He's going to call when he gets in. We'll run over to his place on Longboat Key. What about his brother? Edward, did you say? I've never met him. He's always stayed in Orlando. I was wondering if he might tell things that Arnold is holding back. Ed, Edward Carr wouldn't know anything. Uh, you can never be too sure. Ed, Ed, uh, look, why can't you agree with me for a... Ch- uh, that must be Arnie now. Excuse me. Hello? Uh, this is Arnold Carr. Oh, hi, Arnie. Uh, Johnny Dollar arrived, so we'll be... Well, here, I'll let you talk to him. Here, John. Uh, no. Okay. No, Earl, listen. What? I told you before it was arson. It was arson again tonight. Tonight? What's that? Arcadia just went up in flames. The whole yard. Good Lord. Did you hear that, Johnny? Yeah, I heard it. Well, can you prove it was arson uh, tonight in Arcadia and before in Orlando? I I have proof. Well, Arnie, we'll be over just as fast no. as... No. What? No. Wait for me there at your home. Well, but look now. You mustn't come here. And I, I mustn't stay here because I... I... Uh, now, listen, man. You, uh, uh, Arnie? Well, I guess he's ready to tell us now. A suspicion began to grow in my mind. A suspicion that Mike apparently shared with me that Arnold Carr himself might be responsible for the fires. After all, he was the only one who had seemed to know about the two unsuccessful attempts. He himself had planted the idea of arson. He'd lost no time in filing claim for the Orlando burnout. But Earl said I was wrong. Arnold was too honest a man. Earl had also said we were only 15 minutes from Carr's home. So when half an hour passed, we called him back. Got a busy signal. After the fourth try, the three of us took off in Earl's cab. 
As we pulled into Carr's driveway, we could see him through the picture window, sitting at his desk, telephone in hand, apparently engrossed in a call. Then, as we walked up to the door, I noticed something else. Arnold Carr looked enough like me to be my brother. Maybe that explained Mike's reaction when she first saw me. Hey, Arnie! Can't you see? He's on the phone in there. Well, the least he can do is hear his own doorbell. Carol, wait. Good Lord. What's the matter? Through the window. Oh, no. Earl? Stand back. Earl, for heaven's sake, what is it? Couldn't you see from out there? No, what's wrong? I... Oh, Well, Johnny... Right through the forehead, Earl. Looks like a 38. Before I could stop him, Earl took the phone out of the dead man's hand and called headquarters. Mike turned pale and slumped into a chair. And I gave the place a quick rundown, checked doors, windows, etc. A few minutes later, an officious young sergeant named Larkin arrived and took over. 38 caliber straight through the middle of the forehead. Were all three of you here when it happened? Mr. Foreman, Mrs. Foreman, and uh, who are you? The answer to your first question, Sergeants, no, none of us was here. And this is Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. Hiya. You insurance guys work pretty fast. You related to Mr. Carr? No, why? You look a little like him. Who busted in the front door? The killer? I did. When we drove up, we saw Mr. Carr sitting there at his desk. We rang the doorbell and knocked, but... And when he didn't move, you took things in your own hands and busted in, huh? That's right. You haven't moved anything, have you? No. Except I took the phone out of his hand to call you. Dollar, if you're any kind of investigator, you should have known better than let him touch anything. Now, now, let's see. The shot must have come from somewhere near this window by the fire. Ah, oh, sure, here we are. Bullet hole right through the pane. Bullet was fired from outside. You're sure, Sergeant? Sure, I'm sure. Look for yourself. You call yourself an investigator? Hey, Cummings, Woolway, check the area around that window beside the chimney out there for footprints. Maybe an empty cartridge case. Now, you folks get out of here so I can call Doc Hanley over and get on with my investigation. And no dollar, I don't need any of your help. Well, thank you, Sergeant. Your job is fires, not... Hey, where did Mrs. Porman go? Out to the car. Why? Who told her she could leave? Who told us she had to sit here looking at a corpse? All right, Dollar, all right. Just be sure the three of you stick around town in case I decide to question you further. Oh, of course, Sergeant. Yeah. yeah. Not shot by somebody standing outside? What do you mean, Johnny? Oh, I spotted that bullet hole in the window, too. So? I also noticed there were no particles of glass on the inside sill. But there were some on the outside. Yeah. The shot that made that hole was fired from inside that room to make it look as though it had come from outside. Then somebody was in there with Arnold Carr. Yeah, either somebody he'd let in or who had normal access to the house. And he had to stop Arnold from talking about the fire in Arcadia. Hey, how much do you know about his brother, Edward? Well, nothing really outside of what Arnold told me. Was either of them married, family of any sort? Arnie wasn't, but I... Arnold's death means Edward will own the business then. Yes. And he lives up in Orlando, scene of the first big fire. Yes, very good heavens. Johnny, you don't think his own brother... Where can I rent a car? Take Mike Chevy. It's in the carport at the house. But what are you going to do? Drive up to Orlando by way of Arcadia. When I got to Arcadia, only a few people were standing around the remains of the fire. One hose company was still working on it, and a couple of police were poking about in the embers. 
Walking toward it, I almost stumbled over a little old man sitting alone in the darkness beside a palm tree, hunched over, his head in his hands, sobbing. He didn't even look up when I stopped beside him. It's like losing part of my own life, it is. You, uh, you lost someone in the fire scene? No, son. Only part of my life. I helped build up that yard, me and Mr. Arnie. Arnold Carr. All along, he's been worried about it. Last week, when him and me smelled smoke and come over here and put out the barrel of trash that was smoldering, he knew. Knew what? That somebody was trying to burn him out? That's why he stopped by tonight on his way home. That's why we drove over here, him and me. And I brought my gun just in case. Well, we got here too late. It was already blazing. When he seen the automobile pulling away... What auto? Yes, Frank, he said to me. I knowed he was the one trying to burn me out, he said. Who? Who, old-timer? Who do you mean? He, he didn't say. Then he called the fire department and... That car that pulled away, what was it? Just a auto, big white Buick. But he tied it in with whoever set the fire. All he said was, I knowed he was the one. Do you know who it was he meant? He told me even if I did know, I should never tell. Even the police. Well, who do you think it was? Break my word to Mr. Arnie? Uh-uh. Never, son. All right, look, old man, I'm sorry to have to tell you this. Mr. Arnie's dead. What? Well, he... Well, he can't be. He was... You. Huh? Uh, maybe you thought in the darkness I wouldn't know you. But I do know you, you... Oh, now, just a minute, old-timer. If Mr. Arnie's dead, it's because you killed him. What? Just like you set the fire. No, no, I'm not who you think I am. And I'll kill you. That's what I'll do. Put down that gun. I'll kill you. Act two of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Back in the old days, the very old days, that is, a girl named Cassandra had a corner on the Oracle Market. But nowadays, you can do some foretelling yourself. On Jukebox Jury, for example, you can help decide which of Tin Pan Alley's new recordings are destined for the hit brackets and which ones are likely to spiral all the way down to oblivion. Remember, Jukebox Jury is yours to hear on most of these same stations every Sunday. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the burning car matter. Expense account, item three, $5.15, gas for the borrowed Chevy to keep me going to Orlando. Either the old man's eyesight was bad or he was just a lousy shot. Either way, it was okay by me. I hated to slap him down, but there was no point hanging around Arcadia trying to explain things to the local authorities. So after making sure I hadn't really hurt him, I appropriated his gun and took off fast. He'd thought I was someone else. Even I had noticed a family-type resemblance to myself in Arnold Carr. Sergeant Larkin had asked me if I was related to him. And now the old man at the fire had apparently thought I was the one who... Oh, well, I'm afraid I made the rest of the trip to Orlando in somewhat less than legal time. And at police headquarters, I barged into the office of Lieutenant Cal Hudson without bothering to be announced. Early in the morning. Sit down while I finish up report, Mr. Carr. Uh, thanks. 
trying to reach you, but we got no answer to the phone at your house. Well, that's very interesting, Lieutenant. I'm afraid I have the painful duty of notifying you that your brother Arnold down in Sarasota last night... Why did you say very interesting, Mr. Carr? Or had you already learned... Well, I'll be doggone. Yeah. You're not the first one. Who are you? Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. I can't believe it. You... Dollar, you look enough like Edward Carr to be his twin. You even sound a lot like him. I take it you haven't located Edward yet? Well, no. Lieutenant, I think Edward Carr is the firebug we're after. And the killer. Wait a minute. Briefly as possible, I told him of Arnold Carr's phone call to Earl Poorman. His emotional upset just before he was killed. I told him Arnold had been murdered by someone inside the house, someone close to him, and that everything indicated that someone could very well be Edward Carr. That's still all just theory, Dollar, without any proof. Well, I will admit that Edward is a pretty worthless playboy living off the profits of the lumberyard. In any event, the lieutenant promised to put out an APB on Edward Carr. That was at breakfast for the two of us, item four, three dollars and a quarter. Before I left him, he gave me Ed Carr's address, 1726 Allen Place. As I expected, there was no answer to the doorbell at 1726, so I tried visiting up the street. It quickly became clear that Ed Carr wasn't very popular in this otherwise quiet, well-ordered neighborhood. Those big, noisy parties at all hours of the night, cars parked up and down the street, blocking respectable people's driveways. Yes, ma'am, You know, well... once in a while, you expect a person to have callers and such. Me, I have the Ladies' Bridge Club every third Wednesday, for instance. Well, that's nice. But these are all ladies, not like some of the trash that that man and his friends have, dancing and drinking and carrying on at all hours. Yes, you mentioned cars, Mrs. You know, uh, people like Mrs. Herford Robin. She's awfully nice. And Janet Osterworthy. Now, she's a widow. Well, and you know, she could have her pick of anybody she liked, but does she ever look at another man? No, sir. And then there's Mrs. Mrs. Harper. Uh, yes? You mentioned cars. Do you know what kind Mr. Carr drove? Why, yes. It was a big white one. And the make? Well, no. My husband, when he was alive, always drove a Maxwell, and I guess that's the only kind I ever got to know by name. But Mr. Cars is white. Only I guess that isn't much help to you, is it? All the white cars here in Florida, I mean. Look. Now, even that blonde hussy who's around him all the time drives a white car. Oh, I really shouldn't use a word like that, though, should I? But it fits... Wait a minute. What blonde, Mrs. Harper? Mr. Dollar. I don't pay any attention to people like that. Why, you'd think she owned that house of his, the way she keeps popping in and out all hours as if she belonged there. Mrs. Harper. And drives all the way up from Sarasota, too. Do you know who she is? I do not. I refuse to pay any attention to people like... And the way she dresses, too, like a newly rich chorus girl with all her fancy clothes and furs and things. How do you know she comes from Sarasota? By the license on her car, of course. Every city has its own number. You know that very well. And hers is 12-W-W-something. And you don't know her name? Of course not. Flaunting all those expensive furs as though she bought and paid for them herself. And if there's anything I hate to see, it's a little shrimp loaded down with furs. Now, a tall person I like see. me... And well, her thanks. Eyes... <gasps> if there's anyone I don't trust, it's a person with green eyes. Well, Thank I you, can't... Mrs. Harper. Her description of Carr's girlfriend stopped me in my tracks. That description could fit Mike Corman to the letter. Petite, blonde, green eyes. 
And she came from Sarasota. And then I remembered Mike's reaction when she first saw me. Her dismissal of Edward as a possible suspect. There was obvious friction between Earl and Mike, too. I figured it was just normal in a couple who'd been married for a while. But now... Item 5, a $1.30 phone call from the nearest booth I could find to Earl Poorman at his office in Sarasota. No, she isn't, Johnny. Why? Well, do you know where Mike is? When I woke up this morning, I could hear her talking to her girlfriend, Betty, on the phone downstairs. Betty? Uh, Betty lives here in Sarasota. They used to be on the stage together, sister act, you know. Yeah, well... Uh... Uh, well, then when I went down for breakfast, she was gone. Took my car, too. I had to come here to the office in a taxi. Yeah, well, okay, Earl. Thanks a lot. Yeah, hey, uh, now, wait a minute. How are you doing? You found out anything I ought to know about this arson and murder business? Uh, no, Earl. Nothing that you need to worry about. Liar. I sat down at a corner drugstore. That's item five, 80 cents, over a sandwich and a Coke to try to think things out. But I'm afraid I didn't like anything that I thought. Finally, I drove over to Allen Place again. I parked a couple of blocks away and walked to 1726. I rang the front doorbell, knocked a couple of times. Then I slipped around to the back door, finagled the lock on it with a little celluloid pocket calendar, finally got it open. I left it open for the sake of a quick exit if such became necessary. But I guess that was a mistake. For a couple of minutes later, as I rounded a corner from the den into the living room, I felt the barrel of a gun poked into my back. Out of town, huh, Ed? Now, wait a minute. Don't move, Eddie boy. Trying to stall off, pay me the five grand by saying you're going to be out of town, huh? Okay, so you think I'm Edward Carr. You kidding? Don't you know what happens when somebody tries to stall me? This! I don't know exactly how long I was out, but when I came to, it was dark. Except for the glow from a streetlight outside. And what roused me was the sound of footsteps, feminine steps, cautiously entering the back door. Then, briefly, silhouetted against a window, I saw a trim, petite figure that was all too familiar coming toward me. And she saw me, too. Oh, darling, you're hurt. What happened? Uh, what do you think? Who did this? Who struck you? You don't know. Yes, of course. It was Tony. Because you didn't pay him soon enough for the Arcadia job. Here, Eddie, let me help no, you. No, no, just let me rest for a minute. I thought that was Tony I passed on the road in from Sarasota. Why'd you come over from Sarasota? To see you. I knew you'd be here. Oh, why? Why? So the police could surprise you with the news of your poor dear brother's death. Why did you come to the house? Because I hoped you'd come here, I guess. Eddie, you should have waited until I could raise the money to pay off Tony. You mean for killing Arnold, too? Of course. No. Are you trying to say you didn't kill Arnold? But I saw you from outside in the Buick. You'd swear to that, wouldn't you? I, I don't know what to... Eddie, you sound like you don't trust me. We're in this thing together. Yeah, you sure of that? What are you talking about? Whose idea was it to knock off Arnold? But you had to. When he saw you at Arcadia, he, he knew that you were having the yards burned up. That's the way you figured it from the beginning, wasn't it? Now look, baby. First burn up the lumber yards and collect the insurance on them. Then convince me that you and I should have it all by putting Arnold out of the way. But you had to kill Ar... I don't understand you, Eddie. Yeah... And I wish I didn't understand you, Mike. Mike? Come on, let's turn on a light. No. No, somebody sees us. Eddie, you... Who... Who are you? Are you kidding, Mike? I... Wait a minute, who are you? 
You're that insurance investigator, Johnny Dollars, that Mike told me. Let me out of here. Oh, no, you don't. You're staying right here. Mike Pullman's sister, aren't you? Well? Oh, sister. So we once did a sister act before she married that Pullman guy. Now, let, let me go. Not by a long shot. You may as well, Dollar. What? Eddie. Don't move, Dollar. Get his gun, Betty. Get it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Here, Ed. Good. Ed Carr, huh? That's right. You know, we do look alike, you and me. Yeah, sure. Enough for Betty here to have told me all I need to know. Don't believe him, Eddie. He's lying. I heard, No, baby. Eddie, I, I thought he was you. Don't you sure, see? Sure, sure. Why'd you come up here anyway? Because Mike told me that Dollar was coming up here. You've been shooting off your mouth to her, too? She knew about us. She thought you might have something to do with the fire. She was my friend. She was trying to get me out of this whole mess, and I wish I'd listened to well, her. Well, it's too late now, baby. Eddie, what are you going to do? Now i got to get rid of both of no! you. No! And figure some way to shut up Tony's mouth. Ed, please! You know you'd never get away with it, Carl. Oh, no, I'll call him. That's what I'll do. Yeah, Betty, and he'll come here to get his money. Then I'll call the police, see? Tell him to come right away. Tell him I found out about you having Tony start the fire. What? That's right, that you had him burn up the yard so there'd be even more money for you to bleed from me, like all the dough you got from crazy. me already. You're crazy, Ed. I'll tell the police to meet me here. And when they come in, it'll just be in time to see me kill Tony in self-defense. After getting here too late to save you, I'll tell them. You're out of your mind. They'll check that gun of yours so fast. And that'll prove it. Because the only shot out of my gun will be the one that gets Tony. This gun of yours is the one that's going to knock you two off. And they'll think it's Tony. Oh, Eddie, please, you're drunk. Are you crazy? Crazy to save my own life, to keep you and Tony and Dollar from putting a noose around my neck? If you think that harebrained scheme of yours will ever work, you're it's off your rocker. It's got to work, because it's my only chance. So it's going to work now. <laughs> Thanks, Lieutenant. I'm afraid I was too late to save it, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. But Eddie Carl lived to face a jury. What brought you here anyhow? I did, Johnny. Mike, stay there. Stay right here, Mike. I know. I don't want to see it. She was my friend. Where's Earl? I came alone. When I talked to Betty this morning, I knew your suspicions about Ed were right because, you see, I knew Betty and Ed were going together. Earl didn't know. Yeah. Maybe you better call him. Expense account item six, $9.80, gas and incidentals for the drive for the two of us back to Sarasota. Remarks... Betty, of course, has already paid for her part in the deal. And I guess it's pretty obvious what'll happen to Ed Carr and Tony Ricardo. The insurance money in the Carr estates will be distributed according to Florida law. Further remarks, the apparent friction between Earl and Mike was only part of a normal married life. They're a pretty nice pair. Oh, and I thoroughly enjoyed three days of fishing in the Gulf, thanks to Earl. Expense account total, including all the incidentals I could think of, 385-26. Our star will return in just a moment. You don't have to be an efficiency expert to figure out that it's easier to lend your support to several worthwhile fundraising campaigns all at once than it would be helping one campaign at a time. That kind of efficiency is yours to enjoy through the United Community Campaigns. 
CBS Radio hopes that when the United Community Campaigns are underway in your town, that you'll remember how much good you can accomplish with one gesture of support. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a case with a real twist. One that I think will just about tear your heart out. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Harley Bear, Victor Perrin, Bob Bruce, Harry Bartell, Vivi Janus, Tony Barrett, and Junius Matthews. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Dan Coverly speaking. bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Uh, my name is Hardy, Mr. Dollar. Yes? I'm returning the call you made to Mr. Ellis Rasmussen. If you will state your business, I shall be glad to transmit it to him. You tell Mr. Rasmussen I'm an insurance investigator from Hartford and the matter involves a member of his own family. Oh, uh, young Mr. Rasmussen? Yes. Uh, oh, uh, could you hold on a moment, sir? I could... Uh, Mr. Rasmussen will send a car for you at six o'clock. Look, I can take a cab. It oh, well.
Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Rasmussen matter. Expense account item one, $204.35. Airfare from Hartford to San Francisco to Los Angeles. Trying to compile the details of the Rasmussen case. I'd been on it three days when I was stonewalled in Los Angeles with a Holmby Hills address and the phone number of Ellis Rasmussen. At 6 o'clock, a liveried chauffeur in immaculate uniform stepped up to me at the desk. Mr. Dollar? Yes? My name is Stauffer, sir. I have Mr. Rasmussen's car outside. Well, gee whiz, Stauffer. <laughs> Ain't it the truth, sir? A few minutes later, when we turned into the lush green Holmby Hills section, I had a suspicion I was about to deal with a bona fide millionaire. When we parked in front of the big two-story colonial home and a man with graying hair and swallowtail coats stepped out of the door, well, I knew I was going to meet the real article. I'm Hardy, sir. Hello, Hardy. And Mr. Rasmussen is waiting for you. Uh, this way, please. We stopped in front of a huge panel door. Hardy tapped on it once, then pulled on the knob. As we entered, a tall man with a shock of pure white hair rose from his chair and turned toward us. This is Mr. Dollar, Mr. Rasmussen. I want about four fingers of sour mash. What do you want? <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth, Mr. Rasmussen. Uh, very good, sir. He's a pretty nice fellow. We're all pretty nice fellows around here, Mr. Dollar. Sit down. Thanks. Could you hand me that lighter? Oh, sure. Here. Thank you. What are you doing in Los Angeles? Why, federal underwriters of Hartford wrote a blanket policy for all Imperial Rubber Company employees. Your son was an executive with Imperial when he was killed in Malaya last spring. Federal owes his widow $25,000. I don't know where she is, Mr. Dollar. I see. I doubt if you do. Let me put it this way. I never met the young lady. Fred married her one night in Elko, Nevada. Two days later, they were on their way to Malaya. Six months there, and the development station was raided by guerrillas one night. And I suddenly no longer have a son. Have you eaten your dinner, Mr. Dollar? Oh, I wouldn't want to trouble you. Uh, Hardy, set a place for Mr. Dollar. Uh, very good, sir. Well? Well, I thought she might phone me when she got back to the States. She never did. Never a letter, Nothing. I'm old and sick, but I still want to see the girl my son married. It's not an easy thing to lose a son, Mr. Dollar. And I lost a good one. I lost the best son a man ever had. I'm sure you did, sir. To your son. To Fred. During dinner and afterward over coffee and liqueurs, I listened to the story of Ellis Rasmussen's life. It came from the lips of an old man who was dying but in whose eyes I could see reflected the memories of a brawling, bustling life that started in an Oklahoma oil field and moved to Alaska and Arabia and Africa. <laughs> 
More and more during the talk, I began to know his lost son. For in everything the old man had to say about himself, I could sense an unmistakable reflection of his son. Finally, I thanked him and left. Uh, if I may say so, I do hope you'll call soon again, sir. Mr. Rasmussen enjoyed your visit very much. I haven't seen him so much like his old self since we received the terrible news of young Mr. Rasmussen's death. He must have been quite a man, Hardy, young Fred Rasmussen. Uh, he was, sir. All of us miss him dreadfully. None of us ever met Mrs. Rasmussen, and we were most anxious to receive her, especially after young Mr. Fred's death. I imagine so. Uh, the car's all ready, Mr. Dollar. Uh, good night, sir. Good night, Hardy. Fine night, Mr. Dollar. Yeah. Stomper. Uh, yes, sir? I didn't want to press the point with Mr. Rasmussen, but now maybe you can straighten me out. Did he approve of his son's marriage? Mm, let's put it this way, Mr. Dollar. Mr. Rasmussen approved of Mr. Fred. And if Mr. Fred got himself married, then Mr. Rasmussen approved of the girl. Between them two, they had that kind of understanding. Real people. Expense account item two, $1.98, telegram. To Personnel Division, Imperial Rubber Company, requesting a copy of all information they might have on Laura Olson Rasmussen. Item three, $6, one long-distance phone call to the Universal Agent working the case in San Francisco. Mrs. Rasmussen left the Malaya Peninsula by boat from a town called Cochetti three days after the news of her husband's death. A week later, she booked plane passage in Hong Kong with Trans-Pacific Airlines. She changed planes in Honolulu. She cleared the port authority in San Francisco. From there on, we lost her. Get a list of all the passengers who were on that plane. Okay. Get someone checking the hotels in the Bay Area. She might have checked into one when she hit Frisco. Okay. Now listen, we're looking for a woman whose husband was brutally murdered about two weeks before she got back to the States. If she's anything like I think, she was probably about at the end of a rope. Now start asking questions at places where people like that go. Right. On Wednesday morning, I rented a car. That's item four, $25, and made the rounds. First stop, Los Angeles Board of Education. By 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I had found 35 Laura Olsons who had attended public school in Los Angeles and were more or less in the proper age bracket. The next day, the folder arrived from Imperial Rubber Company. Among other things, it contained a passport picture and a complete description of Laura Olson Rasmussen. She was a blonde girl with a pouting, sultry kind of mouth and wide, dark eyes. You, you down there. Yes? What do you want? I'm looking for Mrs. Frances Olson. Are you Mrs. Olson? I don't want to buy nothing. Do you have a daughter named Laura Olson? Are you a policeman? No, I'm an insurance investigator. I'm trying to locate Laura Olson Rasmussen. Well, how'd you get this address? What's that? A picture of her. I see. Ask my Laura. What about her? I've been trying to locate her for some time. Is she here? No, no, she ain't here. She ain't been here for five years. Do you have any idea where I can find her? Friends, maybe? Other relatives? <laughs> you say her name's Rasmussen now? Yes, she married a man named Fred Rasmussen. Married? Well, ain't that just something? You didn't know your daughter had been married, Mrs. Olson? How would I know? How would I know anything about her? Saturday at noon, a registered letter arrived from the agent in San Francisco containing the list of passengers who had been on the plane with her. 
Three of the names were in the Los Angeles area, including a Mr. Oberlin, who lived in Pasadena. For sure, I remember her. Real pretty. We sat together all the way from Honolulu. <laughs> What's up? We're trying to locate her, Mr. Oberlin. Did she happen to mention her plans when she returned to the States? Plans? You know, what hotel she might be staying at in San Francisco? Or if she was going on to another city? Uh-uh. <laughs> no, 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 not her. You say that very emphatically. Yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> you didn't have to show me a picture. You know, a guy always prays he'll meet someone like her on a plane, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, live it up. Yesterday's gone, she said tomorrow ain't here, and the only thing we got is today. Yeah, we had a swell time. You're sure about this? We were pretty chummy, pal, if you want the truth of it. Mr. Roblin, did she mention anything about being in Malaya before she boarded that plane? Uh-uh. Then she didn't tell you that her husband had been killed a week before. Killed? Oh. He was murdered by guerrillas in Malaya. No, she didn't mention that. She didn't mention that at all, Mr. Dollar. Johnny Dollar. This is Hardy, Mr. Dollar. How are you, Hardy? How's Mr. Rasmussen? He's not so well, sir. That's why I called. Could you possibly find time to visit him? Tonight? May I send a car right away? Is it serious? He's dying, sir. I knew why he wanted to see me. Have you located my daughter-in-law yet? No, I haven't located her, Mr. Rasmussen. But I know something about her. I know she drank whiskey and flirted with a fat salesman on an airplane all the way from Honolulu to San Francisco. I know her mother's a drunk. I know she didn't think enough of you or your son to contact you or anybody else when she got back. Mr. Rasmussen, it looks to me like your daughter-in-law's a first-class bum. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Our daily lives are sharply affected by world news. And for a complete roundup of the news every single weekday evening, just keep your dial on CBS Radio for the news broadcasts of our famous CBS newsmen, Edward R. Murrow and Lowell Thomas. Hear up-to-the-minute news with Edward R. Murrow and Lowell Thomas on CBS Radio. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Rasmussen Matter. There was a black coupe with M.D. on the license parked in the driveway of the Rasmussen house when we pulled up. In the bedroom, a silvery-haired man in a black suit was sitting beside the bed that held Ellis Rasmussen. He was introduced as Dr. Butler. Then I shook the hand of Mr. Rasmussen. Someone suggested that Dr. Butler might like to use the library for his calls. And I was alone with the old man. If you want some whiskey, I keep it in the sideboard over there. Uh, not now, thanks. I, uh... I wish I had some news for you, Mr. Rasmussen. We're finding out things, but we haven't found her yet. What things? Oh, things. Nothing important. Dollar, if I judge you right, you know your business. And if you haven't found my daughter-in-law by now, you've certainly found out what kind of person she is. So tell me. 
I haven't met her. I don't know. You're being evasive. I don't work for you, Mr. Rasmussen. I'm an insurance investigator trying to locate a woman and pay off a claim. If I don't find her, the case will just have to sit. Unless you or someone else concerned makes a report to missing persons. Then the cops can take over, and maybe they should right now. My son was a fine man. I can look back on all the years I had with him and be proud of every year and every day. He married a girl named Laura Olson. I don't know where she came from or who she was, but I know my son wouldn't have married her unless he loved her, unless she loved him in return and was worthy of his love. You know it a lot, Mr. Rasmussen. Perhaps I should go to the police. No. No, don't do that. We'll find her, Mr. Rasmussen. We're getting it narrowed down. Well, I'd better leave now. As you say. Uh, Mr. Dollar. Yes, sir. I want to see her. Yes, sir. I'm sorry I talked to you the way I did. Phone call for you, Mr. Dollar. Would you like to take it in there? Oh, yeah, sure. Keep an eye on him, Hardy. Uh, trust me, sir. Johnny Dollar. This is Officer Daly, Los Angeles Police. Oh, yeah. You the insurance guy looking for a Laura Olson Rasmussen? Yeah, have you got anything? We got her. Huh? She's here with the rest of the girls in the drunk tank. <laughs> Drunk tank will always smell of disinfectant. This one was no different. There are no bunks, no chairs, no blankets, no nothing. So you stand to sit on a concrete floor and wait for something to happen. The legal period is 24 hours. You get rebooked or you get released. It all depends. What's the story on her, Dollar? I've got a check for $25,000 for her. Gee, insurance money? Yeah. Quiet! Quiet in there! All right, quiet down! You girls better learn to get along. Which one? Back there, sitting on the floor. What's the situation? If somebody comes up with bail, they're going to have her. Expense account item seven $100 bail. While I was waiting around, Officer Daly broke open a file on her. A dozen aliases, a dozen charges, and one conviction for shoplifting. A career of petty thievery that began at the age of 16 and ran up into a 22nd year. Expense account item A, $35 telegrams. I sent wires to all parties concerned, all parties except Ellis Rasmussen, ordering a stop on their activities since Laura Olson Rasmussen had been found. Over there. Who are you? My name's Johnny Dollar. Thanks for getting me out. Why? I did it for a friend. Friend? I didn't know I had any. Expense account item nine, 20 cents, two cups of coffee. We had it in a diner across from the women's section of the main jail. I looked at Laura Olson Rasmussen while she drank the coffee. Looked at the blonde hair and the wide eyes and the pouting mouth. 
looked at the woman who had once been the wife of Fred Rasmussen. What's the catch, mister? No catch. You put up $100 for me. I don't know you from a load of coal. No, you don't. Where do you live? I've been staying at the Piedmont Hotel. You know where it is? No. Well, not many people do. Especially people with clean shirts. What have you been doing since you got back from Malaya? I've been getting along. You got something to do with Fred? You know about Malaya. I know about a lot of things. I've been looking for you for a month. So what? Why didn't you contact your father-in-law when you got back? Why should I? Why would he care about me? He never met me. What I mean to him. Right now, since he no longer has a son, you mean everything to him. You're kidding me, mister. I wish I was kidding you. I wish to heaven I was kidding you. Well, what now? Oh, I want you to come over to my hotel with oh, me. Oh, now, look. To sign it... some papers. I have a check for $25,000 for you. What was that? Your husband was insured. You're his beneficiary. All you have to do is fill out an application. I'll give you the check. I don't believe it. It's true. Come on. Expense account item 10, $2, cab fare to my hotel. I took her upstairs with me, stood over her while she filled out the necessary papers. Outside of that, we didn't say a word. Johnny Dollar. This is Stoffer, Mr. Dollar. Hardy asked me to phone you to see if there's any word. Oh, yes. Well, uh, what'll I tell him, Mr. Dollar? Tell him no luck yet, Stoffer. How is... How is the old man? About the same, sir. Counting on you, I think. I'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. Here you are. Okay. Thanks. Here's your check... Anything else? Nope. That's it. Okay. See you around sometime. Sure. Fred told me about a man named Stoffer who worked for his old man for years. Was that him on the phone just now? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what I was going to say to the old man, but I did know I was hoping that if Rasmussen had to die, that he'd die before anybody told him the kind of daughter-in-law I'd turned up. I didn't want to be in on that. Expense account item 11, $83, hotel bill. I checked out at 5.30, picked up my airline tickets at the desk, that's item 12, then sat around the lobby for five minutes. Item 13, two drinks for myself. Mr. Dollar? Yeah. Oh. I read in the paper that Ellis Rasmussen is dying. Is that true? That's true. Mind if I sit down? Suit yourself. What are you drinking? Nothing. I know why you didn't tell them. You found me, and I don't blame you. Fred's dad is anything like Fred was, and I know how you felt finding me the way you did. Let's forget it, Mrs. Rasmussen, shall we? I'd like to meet Fred's father. So you want to meet him, huh? The human thing would have been to see him when you came back. 
But not a line, not a word. That old man in that house knows his son was really a man. And on that basis, he believes without seeing you that his son married a real woman. He had love and sympathy and help and devotion and, and all the things you don't seem to have any use for waiting for you in that house. He... Oh, never mind. I loved Fred. Loved him from the first minute I saw him. You know what I was doing when I saw him? I was serving cocktails in a place like this. He didn't ask me what kind of a family I came from. Whether I was good or bad... He just put one of those big arms around me one night and said, you're mine. He said that to me. He said it because he loved me. No one ever loved me. No one. <laughs> but he did. I told him who I was and where I came from, and all he said was, you're with me now. We, we went to Malaya together. I never knew in all of my life what I knew then. How it was to be wanted by someone who was decent, kind. And then he was killed. He told me one afternoon when I was in Kuchetti. I took a boat and then I took a plane back here. Go on. I want to see Fred's father. I took a car to the house and I saw what kind of a house and what kind of people his family were. I didn't go in. Couldn't you see me, cheap, rotten, dirty little me? Couldn't you see me walking in there and saying, I'm me? Couldn't you see that mother of mine moving in? What would that have done to the old man? It would have crushed out his whole memory, Fred. But don't think, Mr. Dollar, I haven't got my memory, too. I didn't drink that away. I was... I was loved by a man. And I loved him back. I've still got that. I'm going out there pretty soon. Would you like to meet him? Do you think I can? I think so. I think so very much. Oh, Mr. Dollar... I've been waiting in the lobby. I thought you might be here. Uh, how do you do, miss? Stumpher, I'd like you to meet Mrs. Rasmussen. Well, my, my. I'm mighty pleased to meet you. The boss will be mighty happy. She dried her eyes in the car. I didn't say much. She didn't say much. But in the half hour it took to get out to Holmby Hills, something happened to her again. There's something that must have happened when the big arm went around her shoulders the first time. Good evening. Mrs. Rasmussen, Hardy. How do you do, Mrs. Rasmussen? We're very happy to see you. Thank you, Hardy. 
Fred spoke of you often. That was kind of Fred. Uh, this way, please. Come in, come in. I think you can introduce Mrs. Rasmussen, Mr. Dollar. Uh, ring if you need me, sir. I'm scared. Laura, if there ever was a man for you not to be scared of, it's that man in there. Oh, how, how can I tell him about myself? I've been in jail. I can't... Watch. Well, Mr. Dollar, come in. I'd... I've brought someone for you to meet, Mr. Rasmussen. Come here. You'd be my son's Laura. Yes, you're Laura. Hello. Yes. Oh, now, there, there, here, here. Now, look, look, us Rasmussens mustn't meet like this with tears. There's so much I have to tell you. No, there's nothing you have to tell me. What? Let me put my arm around you. There. Now, feel it. Mm-hmm. You're my daughter. Do you understand that? Oh, yes. Then that's all the explanations we need between us. Yes. Uh, uh, Hardy, Hardy. Uh, yes, Mr. Rasmussen? Uh, bring, uh, bring Mrs. Rasmussen some brandy, I think. And I'll have some sour mash, Mr. Dollar. Sure. Make mine sour mash, too, Hardy. Very good, sir. <laughs> Expense account item 14, 40 bucks, miscellaneous. Item 15, $35, stenographic. Expense account total, $1,965. Remarks? The old man's got a few weeks more. Laura's moving into the house with him to take care of him. She won't be telling him a lot of things about herself. She doesn't have to. You should have stood there like I did and seen that big arm go around her shoulder when he said, You're my daughter. Yeah. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Our star will return in just a moment. Folks abroad want to know more about us Americans. How we live, how we eat, what we do in our leisure time. You know something? You can help promote international goodwill by corresponding with someone abroad. For the name of a correspondent, write to Letters Abroad, 45 East 65th Street, New York. That's Letters Abroad, 45 East 65th Street, New York. Stay tuned for five minutes of CBS News to be followed over most of these same stations by the FBI in Peace and War. Now here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, one cute tiny little mouse, that's right, mouse, almost scares a big insurance company out of business. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Gene Tatum, Eric Snowden, Roy Glenn, Will Wright, Frank Nelson, and Jack Crucian. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. 
Dan Coverly speaking.